Hey, Hannah. Hey, Dante. We're back for another episode of I'm Living Proof, a letter to my younger self. And today we're going to hear from Sean. Yes, very excited to hear from Sean, who has titled his episode, I'm Living Proof, This Too Shall Pass. Yes, it's a great episode and a great conversation I have with Sean about finding perspective while living with bipolar disorder and accessing mental health services while in college. Yeah, I really love the inner strength that Sean has kind of fostered to get to this perspective, to be able to write uh, this this letter. You know, he's really overcome the isolation that so many of us feel if we live with a mental health condition. So awesome for him sharing sharing with us. Yeah, I'm so grateful that Sean submitted his letter after finding our podcast. And before we jump into his episode, I do want to remind our listeners that if you want to share your own story in a letter to your younger self, head over to dbsalliance.org slash imlivingproof to find out more about how you can submit your story. Yes, we would be honored uh, to share your story. So head on over if you're interested. Also want to remind folks, if you like this podcast, please rate and subscribe. And thanks. So without further ado, should we hear from Sean? Of course. Let's hear from Sean. Hey, Sean. So I take it you're depressed. This isn't your first time being depressed, nor will it be your last. But something about this episode feels different, doesn't it? You feel different. You're confused. It's okay. You're reading this letter, and that means that this too shall pass. It always does. If I know you and your depression, it's probably sometime after 5 p.m., and you've slept all day with the hope that your dream reality would somehow last forever, providing an escape from the reality that exists when you finally open your eyes and crawl out of bed in the lethargic haze, starting your day as the sun starts to set. You will probably have a cold shower, take the medication you've been prescribed, and walk to a pizza store to eat your first meal of the day. It doesn't matter what time you woke up, you're up now. Take this letter to the floor next to your old blind pug and take a deep breath and give him a hug. He won't be around forever. This is a pivotal chapter in your life. You've recently been diagnosed with bipolar 2, among other things. You had a hypomanic episode and dropped out of school in your last year. Now you're at home, living with your parents, and in the midst of trialing different medications, searching for the combination that will provide you stability. You no longer see the same Sean when you look in the mirror. You aren't sure who you see. You feel like your identity has changed. You are now officially mentally ill. Trust me when I say this. Nothing has changed. You are the same Sean you were a week ago, a year ago, and a year from now. You've always been Sean. This diagnosis changes nothing. You are not your mental illness. This diagnosis is just a tool professionals use to help guide your treatment from now on. Although it may feel like you are frozen in time while all your friends progress in their careers and personal lives, and you stay at home in bed all day. You are progressing on your mental health journey each day. Remember this quote whenever you feel like you aren't where you should be in life. Comparison is the thief of joy. 
You are exactly where you are meant to be in life. In the grand scheme of things, this chapter is just a blip on the radar of life, albeit an important blip. You are in the process of finding the right treatment for you, a complicated process of trial and error. Trust in this process. Trust the professionals in your corner. You will find the right combination for you, thanks to an amazing support system. You will soon see this diagnosis as a blessing and not a curse. You will wear this diagnosis as a badge on your chest with pride, being open and vulnerable in the hopes of showing others that they are not alone. You are not alone. This chapter of adversity you face ahead of you will only make you grow stronger and fuel the fire of your desire to advocate for mental illness. Remember that mental health is a journey and not a destination. There is no medication or therapist that can flip a switch and cure you. This is a lifelong journey full of peaks and valleys. While it may seem like two steps backwards and one step forward in the short term, when you zoom out and look at the big picture over the years, you are on a steady upwards trajectory, learning and growing through each chapter of adversity. Remember that you are not defined by your current episode. Whether you are stable, depressed, or manic, you are always shown and you are always capable of advocating for yourself and seeking help and support. It is ironic that you are so vocal and such an advocate for mental health when you are up, but your first instinct is to isolate yourself as soon as you are down. Fight the demons that tether you to your bed and reach out to friends, family, and professionals. You are worth it. Before I say goodbye and wish you good luck, take a look down at your wrist and look at your semicolon tattoo. You got this tattoo to remind yourself that this too shall pass. To remind yourself that you made a decision one night in your apartment in Calgary. You decided to choose life, to continue your story, to use a semicolon and not a period. You will have good days and bad days ahead of you. Life is messy. But you have a superpower. All you have to do is look down at your wrist and remember these words. This too shall pass. You are loved. You are worth it. Your 24-year-old self. P.S. You should have chosen a different team to follow than the New York Jets when you were manic. Thank you so much, Sean, for sharing your story with us. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. You know, I want to jump in here just quickly in your letter you talk about depression um you almost kind of like personify it you talk mm. about the lethargic haze did you feel like your depression was like a thing that was just hanging around you but you didn't know exactly what it was or did it just feel normal at that time yeah at that time i was writing to in my life uh i was aware of the concept of depression much more aware than i had been previously mm-hmm. um but at that time, it felt like it was my baseline. It felt like this wasn't just an episode I would recover from. It felt like this was my new identity, my new life, um, because it was just coming on the heels of my hypomanic episode where everything was amazing and felt great and life was so vibrant um, to then being diagnosed and starting medication and falling into that depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't... I had no concept of 
stability because I felt like the only time I was would have been happy in my life previously was because of this inflated hypomania and right. not actually um, a baseline level for me. And so I, I wasn't sure that I would, I would ever get back to where I was. I thought this was, you know, my new normal. I'm going to be depressed and have this, this weighted vest around me for the rest of my life. And, um, yeah, like you, just like you described, have something just hanging over my head every day. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of why I wrote this letter to that, that time in my life to, mm -hmm. to say that things will get better because that was probably the most bleak my future like how i viewed the future in my life let's take a step back so that that period that you're describing when you were opening up your letter um mm -hmm. is right after your first hypomanic episode yeah, correct exactly yeah but you alluded to that you had experienced depression before that yeah how was that experience like for you where do you re remember exactly where you were or like what you were doing when you were like oh you you know, something isn't quite right. Yeah. Um, that before that episode, it would have been like you mentioned in your previous question, um, where I, I wasn't really aware that it was depression at the time. I felt like, um, like during university, I was, it was, it was usually because of my anxiety that, um, would lead to depression. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I always thought, it was something physical, something that I could, because I didn't, didn't have the same like knowledge that I do now about mental health. And I wasn't aware that depression could have been something I, I struggled with. I thought depression was only reserved for people in the movies after they, you know, lose a loved one or um, lose their job or something. I thought it, yeah. it could have more situational. situational. Yeah. More exactly. situational. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so I thought I was, I was happy. I was young and at university and, having fun and going to parties and stuff. But um, when Monday rolled around and I was sleeping all day and couldn't go to class because I was either too anxious about, you know, grades in school or I was, um, I was just, I was, I felt like I was just tired all the time. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do things. I, I didn't have any desire to do the things that brought me joy previously. Um, and so I, I tried to look for a, a physical reason, a, to point to something to say, okay, that's why this is going on because I have a thyroid problem or something, or, um, I have an immune problem, immune system problem, because I was always getting sick because I was so stressed. Um, and finally, I think the first time the word depression entered my life is when I went to, uh, a, a physician on campus, just a walk-in clinic because I was, you know, I was sick for like the third time that month. And uh, I thought it had to be something wrong with me. And um, the doctor said, like, you know, we, we don't think there's anything wrong with you physically, but um, I wanted to talk to you about depression. Like how mm -hmm. he, he brought that up and I kind of just brushed it to the side and thought like, oh, I, I got to see a different doctor because you know, this doctor has no idea what to talk about. Like, how could I be depressed? And I seem like I'm having so much fun and I'm in such a happy place in my life. Um, but when I look back and from hindsight with perspective, you know, I, I had been struggling for a long time and I wasn't aware that I could seek help. I, you know, like many people are, they, they aren't aware that things can get better because they're so used to, to, 
where they're at and, and their depression. Um, and I think that, that happens a lot with high functioning depression. Um, you don't see it yourself. Other people don't see it. So you think, you know, you're fine and you can just get through it yourself and you're not trying hard enough. I think that's, that's the big um, phrase that I had repeated in my mind for my anxiety was that you're not trying hard enough. You need to just, just get out of bed in the morning, even though you want to sleep in, get to the gym, even though you want to just lie in bed all day. So yeah, I think realizing that it's okay to, to seek help and um, it's okay to, like things don't need to be bad enough to seek help. You don't need to wait to some rock bottom, some you know metaphorical um, or literal um, catastrophe. Um, like things can always get better, even if it's like your physical health. Like you, you go see a doctor for a checkup, um, even if you're not sick, just because you want to be pro proactive and, and take care of yourself. So I think mental health needs to be seen in the same light. Yeah, yeah. we we live in this society where, especially in the Western world, where like mm -hmm. self help and self motivation is like shoved down your throat all the time, yeah. and um, it can prevent some people from being like you know, there is something happening inside of my head is yeah. you, you do that thing where you're like, no, I'm just not working hard enough, or I'm just not, I'm just not good enough right now. But truthfully, you like you just alluded to, sometimes you do just need to ask for help. Luckily, you did see a um, physician who was able to recognize that this may be something beyond physical. Mm -hmm. um, Sean, you are our first guest from Canada. I'm yeah. sure some people will hear that in your accent or how you describe <laughs> talking about university yeah. um and you talked about how your depression in your letter you talked about how your depression um affected your school life we've heard yeah. from plenty of guests from here in the states how difficult it is to access quality mental health care while they're on campus can you give us a glimpse into what seeking mental health care and resources on campus was like for for you for me, uh, yeah, it started when I was in in first year. Um, I uh, I knew that there was there were counselors on campus, um, and I was I was really struggling uh, at the time um, because I felt stuck. I felt like I needed to to either drop out or um, change programs because I felt like I wasn't in the right program, but I I couldn't switch. And my anxiety was. Uh, really debilitating at the time. I couldn't go to class. Like I couldn't answer questions in class. Um, and so I, I thought, okay, now's the time to to see a counselor and maybe ask if I can if I can switch programs or find out what to do. Um, and uh, and the the counseling session was it, it was more like directed towards um, like what my what I was going to do with my life, my career, and not really my emotions and um, the root of my anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know I didn't really feel like it was, I didn't really feel valid in my struggles. And I felt like it was kind of uh, just surface level stuff that we were talking about. Right. And if I wanted to see the counselor again, um, which, you know, I, I did, even though it, it didn't feel the most uh, productive session. But I, you know, I didn't have a standard at the time, so I didn't know that. Um, but the the waitlist because the 
the supply is far exceeded by the demand of from students. Um, and so, you know, I had to wait maybe three months to see, uh, to have a follow-up. And uh, I know I just, I didn't want to wait in the program at the time because I felt like, you know, I was having passive suicidal thoughts because I felt like, you know, I'm stuck in this program and, um, you know, I don't have any options. I felt like trapped and my parents were going to, you know, be so disappointed that I couldn't finish my degree or couldn't finish this year even just my first year um and then my uh my later experiences with um i didn't i didn't have any more experiences with the the therapy side of things because um like i said it's so it's so hard to get appointments um on campus mm-hmm. uh, at least consistent appointments um but i did have experience with uh, physicians um in regards to mental health and uh my experience there was also um, in a similar light. I could I could see firsthand how overrun and how burnt out um, the healthcare providers were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was sitting sitting in the waiting room at the walk-in clinic with tears in my eyes, um, uh, like no having had no sleep, and during this this hypomanic episode. And I was just looking around and I felt such empathy and compassion for all these students who were so stressed and anxious and um, were, you know, having juggling so many things on their plate with extracurricular stuff and school and GPAs. And mm-hmm. um, I got to see how, how evident the uh, struggle was um, around me. And, uh, and when I finally got in to see the, the walking clinic doctor it felt like I was just you know another just another number that they were crossing off their wait list like I was very matter of fact and not you know not many questions asked about my emotions more like trying to figure out you know am I just another stressed student from from school or you know while I was having this hypomanic episode um and instead of you know um asking questions about you know, my sleepless nights and the the signs of uh, bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, they you know just said just like sleep it off. They just thought I was another high strung student and just actually they upped my my dose from my antidepressant, uh, which is what you know further exacerbated my um, hypomanic episode. Right. Um, and I don't I don't you know blame them at all obviously because um, they were doing the best they could, but it was just I think it was a and more of a systematic issue because uh or systemic issue rather um because uh they were just so overrun it just they didn't have the time or the the resources to uh to take the time they needed and sit down with me and figure out that this was something more than just school stress this was something more of a mental health crisis so we've been talking a lot about you dealing with your depression and like mm-hmm. you just alluded to eventually um, a change in medication and a change yeah. in like lifestyle a little bit leads to your first experience with the manic episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I can imagine for you at that time, like everything probably got flipped, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you make the decision to leave school and you're back home with your parents how did you feel at that moment? And do you have any do you have any insight as to how your parents felt at that moment? That's a good question. Um, 
initially when I first went back home, um, like I was still kind of still riding high from the, the hypomania and I hadn't mm -hmm. really come down yet. Um, and I felt such gratitude really and such uh, love and appreciation appreciation for um, my support system. The fact that mm -hmm. um, I was fortunate enough to be able to take time off work and be supported by my parents and um, be afforded the time to work on myself without like, you know, the burden of other life uh, interventions of, you know, um, just being able to have a roof over my head and, and have the family support. Um, and I think, uh, I think my parents um, felt like they were seeing, like I talked to my mom about this after and, and she, I think they were kind of seeing like almost the most raw, unfiltered, authentic version of myself without, mm -hmm. without the encumbrance of depression um, providing this this weight over me um, for many for so many years prior um, you know instead of seeing this struggling anxious depressed uh, student they saw this this young man full of uh, life and exuberance and energy and love and compassion and um, although there was uh, it wasn't sustainable and, and it's uh, um, there were you know negative aspects to it too but a lot of it was just um, these like candid conversations was happening with my parents about life and about how you know much how much I love them and how much I appreciated all that they've done for me throughout my life and um, how grateful I was just to be able to come back to to them after this this crisis and um, have a place to land and um, I yeah it was a lot of like the nature of you know, hypomania is a lot of like racing thoughts and uh, mm -hmm. grand grandiose thinking and um, but I think you know apart from the irritability and uh, some of the 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 thought patterns uh, I think they really they kind of it was, it was good to be able to see both ends of the spectrum to see how how much I could enjoy life and how happy I could be to know that okay, things aren't, aren't right when I'm depressed, know that I can get back to that level. Um, because they saw that our son, you know, has so much he wants to do in life and so much he has to, to live for. Um, so when I fell into that depression afterwards, they're kind of able to remind me that, like, Sean, like you, you were up once, like, you'll be able to get up again, you know, not to that level, but to more, more of a stable and uh, sustainable level. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it's good good for them to see that. Yeah, it's so it's so great when we have a support system yeah. um, there for us, especially um, when you have one like you said that puts a roof over our head and um, allows us to uh, start our wellness journey. Um, let's talk about something that like really struck me in your letter, and mm. it was this part where you tell your younger self. Um, to remember that compassion is the thief of joy. Hey, it's future Dante here. You may have noticed I mistakenly said compassion when I meant comparison. Sean mentions comparison is the thief of joy in his letter, and that's what I was alluding to. 
Sorry about that. Now, back to the interview. Um, you're telling yourself to do something that is hard for many of us, right? To overcome that feeling of um, not being where we think we should be in life. Yeah. Right? Um, what helped you come to realize that comparing yourself to others wasn't exactly what you needed for your wellness journey? Um, it was a quote that my uh, my mom instilled in me from uh, from a young age, I think. Um, and it really resonated with me at the time because it just, it felt like I was just pausing life. It felt like life wasn't moving forward or backwards. You know, you know, the life around me was moving forwards, but for me, uh, the, like the only purpose to my days was to, was to just, you know, sleep all day eat some, eat enough food to keep me alive. And then, you know, try again tomorrow and just hope the medication start to work because I felt so reliant on the medication, um, to bring me stability. Um, and all around me, you know, well, while I was at home depressed and sleeping, my friends were at school in their last year of university and having a blast. And, and some of them were working and some of them, you know, people, there were relationships they were moving forward in life and i was just there you know without any any friends or any um anything concrete to my name just just working on medication and hoping that i could work on myself um mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't it never feels like that's enough in life to just be working on yourself but in reality um i would definitely tell my younger self that like treat it as a full-time job, treat your mental health as a full-time job, because without that, without, without getting stability, um, you know, nothing else can, can come into place. Um, that's the most important step is just achieving stability and achieving a sense of normalcy. Um, and yeah, so I, like, there's no comparing your journey to anyone else's journey. Right. And, uh, Although I struggled earlier on in my life and, and still struggle, you know, some people may not struggle until their, until their forties or fifties. And then, you know, they cannot be as prepared for it at the time. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, there's, there's no comparing what you see in other people's. And that's the problem with, uh, with social media these days in, uh, in this current generation is that um, all you see is the highlights of people's lives and not what they're really going through beneath the surface. And it's easy to see, you know, these these highlights on Facebook and you know, Instagram, and then compare other people's best days to your worst days. Um, but in reality, you know, we're all struggling in different ways, so there there is no comparison, and uh, all it does is just you know rob us of joy, like, like the quote says. So, um, yeah, yeah. A few times you've cited. Um, this amazing support system that you have. You cited your mom mm -hmm. here a couple of times. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about the support system and how important it was to um, to your wellness journey? Yeah, um, it's it's definitely multifaceted. My support system in, in terms of friends and and families and um, family friends and and parents of friends and teachers and. Uh, co-workers and you know managers and 
doctors and therapists. It's it's really helped my life just to be vocal and be vulnerable um, in different places of my life uh, and kind of bring bring people on board and you know and incorporate people into my support system. Um, so now I have you know friends, moms checking in on me like like second moms and um, asking how I'm doing and it's just it's like it really it it shows you that it takes a village um it takes it takes uh here's like a community of support system to uh to help you uh, get where you can go um and uh you know i i i i didn't always uh appreciate just how amazing my support system was because when you're in the throes of depression um you don't see that support system you don't you're not reaching out to friends and although you know your friends care so much about you like you know they they have their own lives that they're dealing with and their own struggles so they might not be able to check in on you each day um and that's when it's important to remember that uh it's it's vital it's vital when you're when you're feeling low to uh to express that and to reach out to people because you know, they'll, they're not able to support you and to, to help you if they don't know that you're struggling. And when you, when you are open and vulnerable and you and, uh, include other people in your journey, it provides them the space to, uh, to be able to share some of their journey and to, to share some of their struggles. You become, you know, like teammates in this journey of life and you're able to, to uh, share with each other your, your wins and your, your struggles and um it's just really helped to just have phone calls with friends while i'm going on a walk and just uh just say yeah like you know this week hasn't been the best i've, I've been struggling uh, with this and that um but you know i like tomorrow is a new day and and it you just get to like you get to to include people in your journey and um and that's truly a special thing it's, um because that's at, at the end of the day, like we all just we're all here and we all want to be loved and, and to love and um to to have people on your on in your corner. Um it's just it's made a difference, made the it's saved my life really, um, to have friends and family and uh um yeah, it's I, I couldn't I couldn't thank my support system enough. Um and I, that's why I want to advocate for mental health and, and to, mm -hmm. to show my friends that it's, it's okay to, um, to, to speak out and to seek help and to talk to me. And, um, yeah, I hope that anybody that I know, you know, listening to this will, will be able to, to, you know, to reach out to me if they need to, or just to know that they're not alone, that, um, I'm struggling too. We're all struggling, but we're going to get to this together. Absolutely. That, that right that, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Having that peer-to-peer -peer, um, connection is so yeah. important. Is. Um, yeah. A thing that jumped out to both Hannah and myself that we have to talk about is when in your letter, when you tell yourself to look down at your wrist, at yeah. your semicolon tattoo, mm -hmm. um, what made you place the tattoo on your wrist? Um, and then ultimately, what led you to the decision to get the tattoo all together? Yeah. Um, 
I found it on like a, a bipolar forum on Reddit um, after uh, I was diagnosed. And I, I learned about the story of um, how it was started by this woman um, as a, after she lost her father to suicide, um, started as like a, a campaign and a initiative to, uh, to spread awareness about suicide and um, suicide prevention. Basically it's the crux of it is that an author will use a semicolon, not a period to continue their sentence and to continue their story without, um, without ending it. Um, and that's, you know, a metaphor for life and that life is our story and we're choosing to, to keep writing it and to continue living, uh, without using that period. Um, and I had, before that diagnosis, I had really, I know I'd struggle with suicidal thoughts from time to time, uh, during my depressions, but, you know, there was a pivotal, uh, moment one night when I, um, and I write about that apartment in Calgary when I just really you know, felt like I could have uh, used that period. But I, I, you know, I luckily had a phone call from a friend and just was able to, it was a cathartic experience of crying and just talking to my friend and, and saying that I was really struggling and I needed help. So it's a reminder that like I'm, I'm living on borrowed time now. Like I'm, I'm, I could have made that choice to use a period, but I use a semicolon and and now I want to use this life and the rest of the story that I'm writing to uh, to help others, to show others that they're not alone. And I, I put it on my wrist because like I, I wanted to, I always want to be able to see it. I always want to be able to look down and and see it. And I want, you know, people shaking my hand to see it too. And just a few months ago at the beach, I saw a person uh, with a semicolon tattoo in the same spot in the wrist. And it was kind of just like this, uh, this cool connection just to, to see each other and to value each other and just to appreciate each other's struggles and just to appreciate that we're both still here, still writing our stories. Um, and uh, speaking of support systems, my my parents uh, who, you know, are in their 60s and haven't had, the early 60s, mind you, <laughs> haven't had, uh, have never had tattoos. My dad was, you know, always against tattoos. Mm -hmm. um, they both surprised me at Christmas after I got that tattoo with uh, their very own semicolon tattoo in the same position. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's cool that um, that we have that connection. Um, yeah. I hope that uh, anyone listening can uh, can feel inspired um, to yeah. think of life in the context of semicolons and and to choose to keep living because there's as hard as it gets and as as bleak as it can get. There's there's always so much more that uh, can be written. It just takes, you know, time, it takes finding the right support and the right people, but the right support is out there, if you look. Yeah, choosing to use a semicolon instead of mm -hmm. a period. Yeah. yeah, I like that. You have mentioned a few times in our conversation here that you're very vocal about mental health and mm -hmm. that you're um, big into mental health advocacy. Now, can you talk a little bit about your work in mental health advocacy? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... I feel like I'm just in the beginning now. I I um mm -hmm. I'm I want to start my own podcast for mental health, just like what you guys are doing. And um, mm -hmm. I just I really want to sh to show people that just be another voice because I don't think there I'm like there can be enough voices out there just to say that I too have struggled. I too continue to struggle. I too have had suicidal thoughts. I've been depressed. I've been hypomanic. Um, I have a mental illness, but it doesn't define me. 
uh, there's so much more to life than my mental illness. And um, I think there's so many avenues to, uh, to pursue to get the word out. And there's so many initiatives like Movember that's coming up this November, um, growing mustaches for men's health and, and raising awareness about uh, men's mental health and how these, the suicide rates are so skewed and in terms of uh, young men taking their own lives and, and being more successful at suicide attempts. And yeah, like the semicolon projects and jack.org, um, an initiative on, on university campuses uh, surrounding mental health. Um, I think what you guys are doing is, is amazing. I think this concept of a letter to your younger self is, is a brilliant idea. And, um, you know, I hope that uh, whichever audience we can reach to this, um, I just want, you know, people to know that, that this too shall pass um, and that, um, you know, you're not alone. Um, yeah. Yeah. We couldn't do this podcast without you, Sean, and other peers mm-hmm. who are willing to share their story. So we're so uh, appreciative that you took the time out to do this for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course. Before I let you go, um, we ask all our guests, what is one wellness tip that you use every day or one wellness tip that you uh, wished your younger self had? Oh, that's a good question. I think, I think the biggest wellness tip for me is talking, being vocal, not just when you're up, but yeah, when you're down to do, be able to, when a friend asks you like, yo, like, hey, how's it going? Um, to be able to be honest and say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of struggling today and I'm feeling pretty anxious about this or that. And, um, this is going on and, you know, I'm not feeling great. Um, because like I said, it, it provides the space for, for them to be able to share how they're doing truthfully and to, uh, to dig, dig below the surface and, and really connect on a deeper level. And it's just been so, so crucial in my my recovery uh to include like i said include people in my my recovery and my support system and to not suffer in silence i think that's the biggest thing uh it's really really easy to uh to isolate yourself when you're feeling low and to not reach out to friends but that's the the most important time to to be vocal is when you're depressed and you're anxious and when you're struggling um but you know also like it, it doesn't have to be it's not it's not so binary uh mental health in terms of being depressed and not being depressed like there's such a spectrum of of how you're doing and and you know even if you're not you know not depressed but you're just you're situational you're, you're you've had a tough day or tough week just being open about that and and talking to people and trusting in people that's the biggest thing i would tell my younger self is just to to talk as much as you can to to talk to strangers to ask people how they're doing to really mean it when you ask that and the second most important thing is just get out of bed every morning, put your feet on the ground, count down from five and just wake up because that's the thing I'm struggling with most now is some days I'll sleep until 6 p.m. Just, you know, having these vivid dreams. Um, and I think it just, it's easy to, to live life on autopilot, whether you're depressed or not, but just getting out of bed and seizing the day. Well, thank you again, Sean. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dante. Thank you to Sean for sharing his story with us. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please remember to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Your reviews really help us out and we appreciate them. If you feel inspired and want to submit your own letter, head over to dbsalliance.org slash I'm Living Proof. This episode was hosted by DBSA Programs Manager, Hannah Zeller, and Digital Communications Manager, Dante Freeman. You can support DBSA and more shows like this one by making a gift today. Head over to dbsalliance.org donate. Your support can help make sure that no one feels alone. Thank you.